Welcome to the My Chains Are Gone podcast. My name is Jill Schild, and I am here to provide a place for people to hear the stories of ordinary, everyday Christ followers. This is a platform meant to declare the greatness of our extraordinary God who calls people out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Hi friends, today you get to hear Jeremy's story. He is the wife of Leanna, whom I interviewed last week. Jeremy is an engaging storyteller, and I think you will find this not only encouraging to your soul, but entertaining as well. Jeremy grew up in a loving home, but through a series of events found himself running from God and towards drugs and girls. It wasn't until he had a run-in with the cops and a prodigal son moment with his father that he truly understood God's grace. We get to hear his continued battle with drug use and how God broke the chains. Then, Jeremy beautifully describes the vision that God has given him in moving his family across the globe to Japan. I hope you enjoy Jeremy's story. So, Jeremy, thank yes. you for letting me interview you. This is actually the second time since I ruined your first interview <laughs> by Indeed. my lack of technology knowledge. Um, so, thank you for, no problem. for this. No problem. Uh, so, tell me, did you grow up going to church? Yeah. Um, yeah, I did grow up going to church. Um, my parents came from, on my mom's side, an Assemblies of God background. On my dad's side, a Methodist background. And so I kind of grew up early on. We started at a United Methodist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I grew up. And then we moved into more like, uh, at least with my mom, moved into more like um, Pentecostal, charismatic sort of circles. Um, and we didn't stay with the Methodist train for too long. Uh, we were th- mm-hmm. Yeah, so all the way through high school then was in either Assemblies of God or some non-denominational Pentecostal charismatic sort of mm-hmm. body. So what were some of your initial thoughts that you can recall about how you, what you thought about God? Hmm. Well, I mean, I remember when I was four years old, like I remember having a conversation with my mom and saying like, oh, like I want Jesus to be my friend too, you know? Like, and I remember her taking me through like, okay, well, like this is a sinner's prayer and everything. And this means that you're, you know, a Christian and you want to follow him. But I don't, like, Jesus just seemed like a good friend to have. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. they didn't see, like, there was no concept of, like, the depth or weight of sin or anything like that. And so, like, growing up in it, like, it was just sort of, um, I picked up the right things to do. You know what I mean? Like, I watched and I listened and I knew the right things to say, even if I didn't really understand them, you know. But then... In adolescence, like, the image of God that was given to me through people who, you know, pastors or people who consider themselves prophets and others was um, very much like a judgmental, condemning, like, fire and brimstone, I've got a baseball bat and I'm waiting for you to screw up kind of God, Um, is at least the way that I perceived it in adolescence of like, okay, this is who God is. Mm Mm-hmm beyond that so after adolescence and you went to college what did life look like for you at that point Mm. 
Um, when I went to college, I had just gotten out of a relationship with this girl that I thought was the one that I had essentially like idolized, right? Like I had worshiped her and, and that idea of a relationship with her and all these things. And so when that ended, um, that was enough for me to like break off as I was about to go to college. That was enough for me to break off any like religious conviction and just say, whatever, you know, I'm done with this you're not real God, whatever it was, you know, I was just able to kind of like the prodigal son and do reckless living. Like that's what I did. I did, went to college and just got drunk, got high and just chased women, like did all the, the typical college things with no, with no sort of concern of spiritual things or a relationship with God or anything like that. Like just completely forsook all of that. And really just for the first two to two and a half years of college really just like live for myself sort of thing mm -hmm. yeah um and so what happened what what was kind of like your peak moment yeah um it was i think it was in october so it's appropriate that it's like october now but i was riding around with some dudes and we were smoking getting high and my buddy who was driving rolled through the stop sign with the MU cop behind us. And so naturally he pulled us over. And it was, in my mind, it was kind of like one of those Cheech and Chong videos where he knocks on the window and you rolled it down and the smoke just comes billing out of the car, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? And the officer's like, hey, what you guys up to? And there's just no point in lying at that uh -huh. point. And so we're like, we're smoking weed, you know? Uh -huh. And he's like, okay, well, turn off the car, step out. You know, and he... Um, one of us got arrested and the rest of us were kind of held or a couple of us in the car. And so we were held and, you know, I just remember like looking up and seeing the moon and the stars, whatever. And at that point, like I felt, I felt comfortable acknowledging the existence of God. But at that point I was just like, I don't even care. Like this still doesn't matter to me at all. You don't mean anything to me. Um, you're not involved. You're not personal. You're not loving. These were like the things that I thought about God and in, in you know being essentially arrested and 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 held for possession uh, of a substance um, that night. And so fast forward then to Thanksgiving break, and I was with my dad, um, and I knew I needed to tell my dad what had happened. Like I had not really told anybody about what went on, except for my aunt. I told my aunt, and. Um, <laughs> and so I just thought like, okay, well, I need to tell my dad about this. And I remember I was, I was emptying the dishwasher or something. It's about, it was like the day before I left, he's like, Hey, something bothering you? I was like, ah, you know, like now's the moment, like now or never. Cause I wasn't sure how he was going to respond. I just didn't know. And so I was like, okay, yeah, this is what happened. You know, I was smoking. We got pulled over. We were detained. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to tell you. And he looked at me and he said, Jeremy, I love you. And he came over and he gave me a hug. And like, that like still like gets me, you know? Like that was like the moment for me of like all of this, you know, two decades worth of head knowledge just becoming very real in that moment mm -hmm. when my dad extended unconditional love and grace to me that I didn't deserve or earn or do anything for. Like I had done the opposite. I had done what would, you know, deserve like a slap across the head, you know, or like that baseball bat, mm -hmm. you know, I had done all those things 
And what I was met with was like this love. And for me, like that's when like this gospel of grace made sense of like, I've not done anything to earn this love, but God has like given this love through Jesus Christ and through his life. And so like we hugged for like probably a solid minute. And then I went to the bathroom and just broke down. And like, that was just like my moment of like, okay, like I don't want to live for myself anymore. Mm. Like I want a relationship with you, Jesus. And I want to live for you. Wow. How beautiful is that? That the embrace of your father showed you the love of your heavenly father. Right. Luke 15, you know, like the prodigal son. I get it. You know, like that's powerful for sure. Yeah. That's beautiful. So at that moment, were your chains broken per se, or did you, what did life look like after that for you? Okay, so um, I, there were a couple of things that were going on in my life at that time, one of which was um, in the dorm that I lived in, there were a bunch of guys that were involved with this campus ministry, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as Crew, um, and they continuously, even before my conversion, they were just saying, hey, come and hang out with us, come and do Bible study with us, come and see what it is to like fall after Christ. And so, you know, I started to engage with them and get a feel for for what authentic Christian community was like. Um, but I didn't stop getting high just like that, you know, like it, it wasn't. Like I felt changed, I felt transformed, but um, I still enjoyed to a large extent, you know, living for myself um, to the point of traveling to Amsterdam to judgment at, at a cannabis cup for one Thanksgiving after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, it, it wasn't right away that things changed. And in fact, it's almost like they got worse. You know, I got into this very, um, this very like detrimental cycle of, you know, I became very involved in Christian community and because I'd grown up in it, I knew the the face to put on, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah, I knew how to, how to present myself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So like I would MC at these weekly gatherings with crew kids and then I'd go over to my drug dealer's house and we'd just blaze away, you yeah. know? Um, like I was fine with that. And I remember it was at a Denver Christmas conference it, because essentially the cycle was this, you know, I would lie to my friends about my drug use um, and then I would get depressed because I was living a double life I was lying so to not feel depressed I would go and get high mm-hmm. and then I would lie about that and then I'd go and get high you know what I mean mm-hmm. like it's just this twisted cycle of just like yeah. and it was really depressive um, and so yeah that changed around a holiday again it was kind of a Thanksgiving and then into Christmas break And at that Christmas break, I had an opportunity to just confess, because at this point I felt a lot of conviction of the Spirit after about a year and a half, probably a year and a half of that type of lifestyle. I felt a lot of conviction from the Holy Spirit and um, was able to confess to these guys about just my struggle with sin and using drugs and and these different things. And and, um, they took me to Scripture and they took me to Philippians, where Paul says that I count all things as rubbish compared with the priceless worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and I feel like that was another one of those moments where like the presence of God was so tangible you know like the spirit of God made scripture come alive and after reading that and seeing that with like 
eyes but for the first time, you know. Um, yeah, like I walked away from it that night and never went back, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, that was a spirit transformation that occurred. It didn't happen right away. Like I said, it took like a year yeah. or more. Yeah, yeah. But like... That was a, that was when the chain was broken. I would say yeah. that's when I walked away from that type of idolatry. Right, you know? and again, uh, the community of believers. You know, first mm-hmm. it was your father, but now it's your friends, mm-hmm. your community of of friend believers pointing you to the truth. I think yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, so since that time, um, you know, you're a while's away from college. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. How has your faith developed? What are some Gosh. some? Yeah. Hmm. So I'll give you like a like decade worth in a nutshell and then kind of like the last year because the last year has been really intense. But then decade worth, like I think the biggest thing is just like, as you say, like this idea of like community, Christian community, um, is just what it looks like to be part of a healthy local church and to be trained and equipped by the local church to be making disciples and to be sent out. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just a huge part of my story of the last 10 years. Yeah. You know, and it really has been, yeah, yeah, how God has, like, set us on this path that we're on now, you know, to Japan. of just being in a place where we can go and serve and be a part of the church there. Yeah. Um, and so, speaking of Japan, I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Um, what has been the driving force for you wanting to go to Japan and take your family of five um you're to japan to a place um where you know very few people Mm -hmm. um and so what's the driving force and then there and what's the vision what's what's your desire what would you hope to see the the easiest way to nail down like the driving force and something that i've been meditating on more and more over the last few years is the commands that Jesus says are the most important to love God with all your heart and to love others as yourself. Like to, to boil it down, like it comes down to that. Love God and love others. Um, really the vision that we have, it was my second trip to Tokyo, which was four years ago. And we went to this metropolitan building in downtown Tokyo. And we went up this elevator, 48 stories. And on the 48th floor, the walls are all like glass window like this but it's just the entire thing is glass and you're just you're looking out on the city of 30 million people and I was praying and just asking the Lord for vision because Leanna was at home before we left she's like hey I really hope you come back with some vision for our family I'm like hey I hope so too you know (laughs) I concur Um, and so we're just praying asking God to really give us direction on what we should do because we wanted to be involved in international ministry and we just didn't know what that looked like at the time and um yeah so i'm just looking out over the city and it's just an urban jungle as far as the eye can see it's just skyscraper after skyscraper after skyscraper and like you know i started to realize that each of these skyscrapers represents you know hundreds of people and thousands of people that number upwards of 30 million people and less than half of a percent, like half, barely half of a percent, know Jesus, right? And in looking back at it now, like what I feel like the Spirit was doing with me 
Well, what he did with me was brought to mind my conversion. He brought to mind the background that I had and how I'd had a foundation that was laid with parents that tried to teach me what it was to know God. And he had gave me a community of believers who called me to repentance and faith. You know, those were the two things that were true at the point of my conversion. Um, but I, you know, looking back at it, I think of um, Ephesians 4. For you were once dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the, uh, the air, who's now at work in the sons of disobedience, you know, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, um, among whom we all once lived in the pleasure of the flesh. And, like, I just, like, I remembered the path of death that I had been on when God intervened. And I saw this city of 30 million people and thought that there are so many people that are on that same path of death that are just dead in their trespasses. And that they don't have a background or a foundation that's been laid and they don't have a community of believers that are calling them to repentance and faith. And like the Lord just really like broke my heart for them, you know, and made me want to be a part of his kingdom being brought to life by loving him and loving others in this city and in this country, you know? And so, like, with that, it was sort of like, oh, wow, that's a vision, you know? Um, and even to the point where it's not just like, a, all right, we're going to go, we're going to have revivals, there's going to be white tents, and, like, all these people are coming to know Jesus. But really, it's like, my son is six months old, and my hope is that him and his sisters will be that Christian community that is able to call young Japanese people to repentance and faith in their college years, you mm -hmm. know? It's not that I'm expecting some big old revival or church or anything like that, but like understanding that we're going to labor and that might just mean like planting some seeds that we never see mm -hmm. come to fruition, but like knowing that that's like worthwhile and that's okay. Yeah. So that's kind of the vision I would say that we have right now for yeah. life in Japan. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's very beautiful. Um, well, Jeremy, thank you so much yeah. for sharing your story Absolutely. about um, how God has set you free yeah. and just also your vision for Japan. And um, I'm excited to, to let other people hear this too. So thank awesome. you. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed listening to Jeremy tell his story. After going back and listening to his story, I was so encouraged by how God used the grace of his community to point Jeremy to the truth. Next week, you will get to hear my friend Kim Still share her story. Her and her family live in Brazil right now and are finding ways to practically show love to the people there. I actually interviewed her and her husband the week before they moved out there. Her story is great and includes growing up in a Unitarian church and finding Jesus in the midst of a college depression. If you like this podcast, the easiest way to follow and not miss an episode is to subscribe. 